Well, I once heard a story about a married couple who every year visit the same fair. And every year when they do, they have the same argument. At the fair, there's a stall offering helicopter rides for 50 pounds. And a helicopter ride had long been on the husband's bucket list. And every year he begged his wife to let them ride. Each time his wife refused, quipping 50 pounds is 50 pounds. This year, the stall was there again. And again, the husband begged his wife for a ride. Again, she turned it down, saying, 50 pounds is 50 pounds. This time, however, the pilot who was manning the stall overheard the argument, and he decided he could offer a solution. He told the couple that they could have a ride in the helicopter for free, but with one condition, one test of their self-control. They must not make a single sound while they're in the air. If they did make a sound, they would have to then pay the 50 pounds. The husband and wife looked at each other and, feeling confident, decided that this was too good an opportunity to turn down, so they climbed aboard. As soon as they left the ground, the pilot began performing hair-raising techniques and manoeuvres in the air, swinging left to right, going up and diving down, going fast to slow. But try as he might, he could not get the couple to utter a single sound. When they finally touched down, the pilot turned round to the husband and exclaimed, Wow, how did you stay silent? I have never seen such a display of self-control. That's amazing. You've definitely earned your free ride. The husband replied, Well, I nearly said something when my wife fell out, but 50 pounds is 50 pounds. <laughs> I couldn't resist starting with that. That's my favourite self-control joke. But, but self-control... It's the final fruit of the Spirit. And nine weeks ago, we began by looking at love, which is at the start of the list. And the way I like to think of it is that love might be thought of as a little bit like the seed that all of the rest of the fruit grow out of. But if love is the seed that the fruit of the Spirit grows from, then self-control is the glue that holds it all together. In fact, this last fruit of the Spirit is not at the end of the list as a sign that it's the least important of the nine. No, self-control is there to hold the rest of them up. It's essential to keep all of the others from being warped and distorted and perverted. Because every virtue can become a negative thing if it's not controlled. And it's the fruit of self-control that tells a believer when they're getting it out of balance and letting the flesh be their guide instead of the Spirit of God. Even love needs the balance that comes with self-control. And if love can go wrong because of a lack of self-control, then so can all of the other fruits. Joy out of control can lead to extremes of indulgence that are harmful in the long run. Peace and patience can, seem, can be so extreme that it leads to lethargy and indifference to a hurting world. Kindness can lead to such a sugary sweetness that people gag on it and avoid it as being superficial. And as I said, a loss of self-control involves taking a good thing and using it in a bad way. A good thing out of control. And a good thing out of control is a bad thing. And that's why self-control is the key to keeping all of this fruit of the Spirit from going bad. To take a few examples, normal hunger, thirst, 
fatigue and sex. These are all good things in God's sight. But when your appetite takes control and you lose self-control, it can become greed. Christ Church, New Malden, Sunday the 26th of June, 2022, 11 o'clock service. Nathan Larkin speaking in the series, The Fruit of the Spirit, Self-Control. When fatigue results in laziness, it's wrong. When the normal sex drive goes into overdrive, causing a loss of self-control, it's wrong. So how do we tell, how do we know how we're actually doing on the self-control front? Well, I thought I would put up a few few scenarios and some questions thinking about the presence of self-control in our lives. And I stress, you don't need to answer out loud, but let's have a little think about them together. So, number one, how are you as a finisher of dull tasks? When it's your turn to do the dishes, for instance, and you look at the overflowing countertop, do you go and do it and complete the task right then and there, or are you more likely to end up being a couch potato for the night, or you know, you go do something fun instead and simply put it off until tomorrow or forget about it completely? If you ask Anna, which I am, then you might get an idea why I said not to answer out loud, okay? <laughs> Here's another one that I, I feel slightly embarrassed about because before I, I wrote this, I, I, well, I'd written this before and I didn't realize that on Glastonbury last night, Paul McCartney was playing the live uh, main stage till very late at night. So you'll know why I'm slightly embarrassed when I read this. Um, okay, when it's getting late and you know that you need to be at your best for something the next morning, do you shut off the TV or put away whatever hobby you're working on and get the sleep that you need in order to be sharp? I'm not doing so well so far, but don't worry, I'm I'm not going to, I'll I'll shoot through the rest of these here and you you have a think about how you you do. When you're browsing through some online shops and you walk into a high street and you have a pocket full of cash or credit cards, what's likely to happen? When you're flicking through channels late at night, scrolling through videos on social networks or are confronted with a pop-up whose content is less than wholesome, Do you delete them or scroll past it every time? Or do you occasionally linger longer than you should or get drawn into watching something unhealthy? Are you careful not to say negative things about people with whom you're upset? When you need to deal with something difficult, and actually this is an interesting one because the rest of all have been about um, things that that, um, we might be tempted to do wrong. This, This last one is about being tempted not to do something right, which is also where we can lack self-control. When you need to deal with something difficult, something where you know what it's right to do, and you know that to do it will probably be hard and unpleasant, do you do the hard thing and deal with it redemptively and in a timely way? These are all difficult scenarios. There could be hundreds of scenarios suggested. Some of them are are silly, like dishes, or, or, or others are are really more important. But we live in a world where we are constantly surrounded by temptation. Temptation to do the wrong thing, the lazy thing, the greedy thing, but also temptations not to do the right thing, even when we know we should. And for all of us, we have this battle within to be who we know we can be, who God has called us to be. But it's the art of self-control that will enable us to move towards being that person, even when we're surrounded by temptation. I once heard it said that ships don't sink because of the water that's around them. 
Ships sink because of the water that gets in them. An entire sea of water can't sink a ship unless it gets inside. And similarly, the temptations of the world can't pull us down unless we allow them to get inside us. So how do we not let what's happening around us get inside and weigh us down? I think a really good place to start is by being truthful with ourselves. We are all capable of doing terrible things. A self-controlled person is someone who does a lot of self-examination. They don't just drift and respond to whatever comes along. They listen to their bodies and examine their minds. And if they feel a strong temptation to do what they shouldn't, they don't add fuel to the fire. They're honest about their temptation and are determined to control it within the bounds of God's will. Those who lose control and disobey God often do so because they're not really being honest about their potential for sin and folly. And yet the Christian who says, I know that I can fall, is the one most likely to avoid falling. The one who pretends that temptation is, is no problem at all for them is the one at highest risk. Self-control demands that we be honest about our weaknesses and admit them before we face the temptation. As we heard read, the Apostle Paul described human nature in this way in Romans 7. He said, and let's, let's really listen as I read it, because as, as you hear it, you may find, um, as I do, that you really see yourself in this passage. So the trouble is not with the law, for it's spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human. I'm a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what's wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that's at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Now, this is Paul talking. This is the Apostle Paul. He's the guy that wrote the fruit of the Spirit list in the first place. And yet it sounds like he is totally out of control here. It sounds like he finds the concept of self-control completely unreachable. The same Paul wrote to the churches in Corinth, and he said this, So I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. I fight to win. I'm not just shadow boxing or playing around. So Paul tells the Christians in Rome, I really want to do what's right, but I can't. He tells the Corinthians, I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. And he tells the Galatians that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. It seems like this guy is all over the place. Was he a hypocrite? How can he preach that he's got his act completely together, I fight to win, and then confess that he can't control himself? When I try not to do wrong, I do it anyway. What's going on? Well, no, Paul wasn't a hypocrite, and he didn't have any special behavioral issues, not, at least not any more than you or I, but he was trying to get a point across. Paul was telling the Christians in Rome about human nature. It's human to want to behave one way and to behave another. 
It's human to try to do right but end up doing wrong. It's human to be completely out of control at times. I can remember watching a Simpsons episode as a kid that for some reason really stuck with me. And in it, Lisa plays a joke on Bart where she puts out a cupcake that's attached to an electrical current. And along with it, she has a sign saying, do not touch. And we've got a, a little clip from it here. When Bart inevitably grabs it, he gets a massive electric shock. He wants the cupcake, but it hurts him. So he braces himself and he goes again. Same result, massive electric shock. He tries again, bzz, tries again, bzz. And to me, this was an insight into human nature. We have these things in front of us that we desire, but they often end up hurting us. But even knowing the pain it causes, we keep going for them. Now, that was a, a funny example of it, but this is really serious stuff we're dealing with. Marriages end because people can't control their sexual desires. People ruin their lives because they cannot get a grip of their addictions. People lose it all when they let greed and anger control them. And I don't doubt that these same people desire to do what is right and good and pure. But we just can't carry it out on our own. We lack self-control. As we heard in our reading from Galatians 5, for Paul, there were two states of life, two ways of living. And we end up in either one or the other, other category. Life according to the flesh, which um, he referred to as um, our sinful nature, or life according to the spirit. Flesh, as you can guess, is everything that we've heard described before. Our struggle and our failure to do what is right. Living according to the spirit, of course then, is living with the presence of God alive within us, changing us, conforming us into his image. The flesh, where we have no self-control and do whatever we want, and the spirit, which guides us into a new life. And we get descriptions of what these two different lives look like. Firstly, the flesh. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, bursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. So, not the most pleasant. It's a bit of a naughty list, really. Santa would not approve. But seriously, these are things that destroy lives and relationships, that cause pain and brokenness in our lives. No one grows up to aspire to these things. Then the life of the Spirit is contrasted and the fruit that it can produce in our lives. And that's what we've been looking at over the last nine weeks. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's quite a contrast. And this sermon series hasn't been just like a list for us to learn or a fun song for us to remember from childhood. This is what being a Christian looks like. So, you know, it's, it's nice to put these things, the, this, this list, the fruit of the Spirit, in a frame and have it on our walls or to have it in a tea towel in our kitchen. But we need to be actively pursuing these virtues in our lives. You see, if we belong to Jesus, then the flesh with its passions and desires gets crucified. 
And we no longer desire after the very things that harm us. We get a new set of priorities. And if we're going to live the Christian life, if we're going to have faithful marriages and integrity and live holy and pure and full lives, then we need this gift from God, his spirit at work within us, producing new life. But since the desires of the flesh can often cloud our thinking, then we can't depend on any sort of natural self-control. It's not just something that we need to work harder at. We need the supernatural self-control of the Holy Spirit to be assured of victory. Because real self-control actually goes against human nature. We are a bundle of desires. We want what we want and we'll scream till we get it. But no matter how hard we try to put a lid on our desires, they're going to pop up. They pop up somewhere, some way. That's human nature. But the whole idea of Christianity, of being follower of Jesus, is to take on his nature. That's what this series is about. When we surrender our desires and take on the nature of Jesus, then we begin to see this fruit growing from within. So how do we become self-controlled people? allowing the Holy Spirit into our lives to guide and transform us. Well, I think it begins as we surrender and as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Choosing the Holy Spirit is an absolute necessity for Christian living. Why? Because as we've said, the power of a fruitful life comes from the Spirit, not us. Just as an apple tree doesn't think about producing apples, it produces apples because it's an apple tree and because it's connected with the source of life. So it is with a believer. A believer doesn't try to produce all of this righteous fruit. We produce this fruit because we are a believer and because we are connected to the source of life, the Holy Spirit. In Ezekiel 36, it says, I will give you a new heart. And I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. So how does that work? Are you zapped with the spirit of God and never struggle again? Do you become a Christian and all bad habits Toxic thought patterns and addictions to sin and sinful things just disappear? No. We know that from our own experience. And we know that from listening to Paul's struggles in Romans as well. No, we need to learn to appropriate this gift that God has given us. To cooperate with the gift of God's renewing presence within us. His spirit alive and at work within us. I think a really helpful way, the language the Bible uses that, um, about how we do this is about keeping in step with the Spirit. And as we learn to cooperate with God, listening to his promptings, and we immerse ourselves in his word, then we begin to walk in the same direction as the Spirit of God directs us. Now this is not about hard work ourselves. This has a supernatural presupposition. This isn't going to come from just trying harder. It isn't going to come by reverting to a whole list of rules. It's going to come by getting to know the will of God, learning to hear the voice of God, 
and the ways of God and keeping in step. And it will come through supernatural empowerment. We need to ask God for this. There is a strength and self-control that only the Spirit alive in us can give us. But with it, we can overcome habits and addictions. We can see our character change. We can commit to honourable living and service in this world. And we do it as we learn to stay in tune with God's vision of the world. One of the things that my daughter, Emily, loves doing is walking on my feet. I think if, there, if there's a dad here who hasn't had a child want to get on and walk around, it's, you know, it's, it's a, something that we all, we all do. But she'll step on and we'll walk around the house or dance along to one of her favorite songs. She steps where I step. She'll go where I'm going. She allows me to control her steps and we stay in the same direction. We get the rhythms of how to walk together. And just like Emily and I walking in tandem, we need to learn how to keep in step with the Spirit of God. So as we finish, here are a few tips for keeping in step. And I think these are really important and helpful guidelines for how we might allow the Spirit to guide us and control us, how we help give our lives to his leading. Number one, have an open life. Sin, like bacteria, multiplies in dark places. It's good to be accountable to trustworthy people for those areas in our lives where we tend to stray. We need to have an open life. A major principle of self-control is for each of us to have friends who care about our spiritual condition, who will help provide support along the way. And they'll give us help in all of those areas where, you know, we are likely to struggle. We need to have friends like these. Friends with whom we maintain a humble and accountable relationship. And we need to be open with them. When we keep secrets about ourselves, about our lives, that's where we leave ourselves open to temptation. Call people that we trust when the urge to do the wrong thing is hitting hard. Have an open life. Number two, this is simple, but flee from temptation. The Bible's plain about this. Run the other way. Run for your life. Yes, sometimes self-control requires physically leaving the scene of temptation or avoiding things that you know will lead you into that. If you're angry with someone and you sense that you're about to say things which you shouldn't be said, you may need to leave and revisit those issues at another time. If you find yourself in a place uh, or, or with people that are doing things that they shouldn't or that you don't feel comfortable with, remove yourself from that situation. Number three is to immerse yourself in the church family. 1 Corinthians says that we are the body of Christ and each one of you is a member of it. There's no such thing as flourishing believers who are not a vital part of their local church. Such spiritually displaced people are not ministering to their fellow local believers and they're not receiving ministry from those same members of Jesus' earthly body. We need to be a vitally connected part of the church family. And yes, to participate in the Sunday gatherings like today, but, but also 
to be a part of the other groups and opportunities to be church together through the week. As iron sharpens iron, Proverbs says, that we need to sharpen each other. And finally, but, but most importantly really, we need to pray. We need to ask God for help. God desires that we bring everything to him. Philippians 4 reminds us not to worry about anything, but to pray about everything and to do so with an attitude of thankfulness. There is nothing that we are facing, no temptation that we struggle with that God doesn't care about. He wants you to take it all to him. Later in Philippians 4, it says that if we do this, the peace of God will guard our hearts. And this peace of God is the good soil that the fruit of the Spirit will grow in. If you don't maintain a relationship with God, you can't grow his fruit. So talk to him. Listen to him. Get into his rhythm. Let him calm your soul and bask in his presence. So there we have it. Self-control. Those tips that I've just shared... They are a little bit like a toolkit. I think these tools are, are made of really fine materials, but even the best tools on earth do no good for anyone if they're not used. So as we finish this series, looking at the fruit of the Spirit, I want to challenge all of us to put, sorry, to put these four principles to good use. And to watch the fruit of the Spirit begin to grow larger and healthier in our lives as we practice these four vital principles to walking in self-control. Have an open life. Flee from temptation. Immerse yourself in the church family and pray. Ask God for help. Clearly, this last but not least of the fruits is vital to our success as Christians. So may we be willing soil in which the Holy Spirit can grow all nine of these precious fruits.